baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. It's the Todd Feinberg Show, live from the NJ Diet Studios on WTIC News Talk 1080. Just a little warning for you in case you ever get into broadcast media. Beware of producers who ask you a provocative question, then say you're on the air. Half second later, no beat in between. Are you ready for this, Anthony? I want to get your reaction. Do you feel responsible for what happened to the Sandy Hook families? Yes, I killed the children. But beyond that... I mean, no, I mean, I went in that school, I pulled a gun out, and I shot every one of them myself. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm guilty. It's true. No, but I mean... No, no, let's just... Do I feel responsible that someone... I don't feel responsible, and I don't apologize anymore. I'm done. Mm-hmm. I don't apologize I killed the kids. What do you think about that, Antonio? Why is he doing this? Why is Alex Jones playing victim? I mean, part of me when I first saw it felt like it was genuine, but I mean, Alex Jones, everything he does is about publicity. Everything in everybody in public life does is about publicity. It's all contrived, but he's a maestro at it. So he's not accidentally doing this rant. He's not accidentally in being interviewed by this, uh, this, social media phenom interviewer he's got an angle was there a definitive no i killed him i killed him you didn't kill him no i did no you didn't no everybody said no no i killed him i love andrew replying i I already admit it i did it i killed him i'm the bad guy i'm the devil get rid of the first amendment we want other topics i don't think i killed him first amendment killed him second get rid of the second amendment get rid of the first amendment they're bad. They killed the kids, too. George Washington killed them. Jesus killed them. The whole, we should rename the whole planet Sandy Hook. Everything. There should be holidays. We should bow five times a day to, to New Haven, Connecticut. He's, uh... It, it, I mean, it's ridiculous. Like, it's... I well, mean, every, he, everything he, just, he does is ridiculous. Yeah. He's the ridiculous man. But yeah. the idea is to out-entertain the other ridiculous media. To be uh, out at the edge, beyond... All the other ridiculous media. The only thing I can figure, here's the math from my perspective, is that if you're Alex Jones and you had to sit there on the witness stand and act contrite and humbled some of the time and show weakness, he went against his brand during the trial. And I figure this this lets him get back to his brand. He gets to be the tough guy again. He was a wimp during the trial because he wanted to save himself a big chunk of change. It didn't work. So now he goes back to being outrageous. 
Yeah, I mean, he could have picked the worst lawyer of all time. Like, that guy was just... <laughs> I don't understand how he went in there with that. I don't think he had a lot of options. And he, he yeah. and I'm sure Alex Jones was driving a lot of what the defense was going to be. For the kids that died. Every American's to blame. Every gun owner's to blame. I'm to blame. We're all guilty to Bloomberg and Soros. Turn our guns in. Turn our guns in. I know. I did it. I killed them. I killed them. I killed them. I, I know. I killed them. So I'm done talking about it. Okay. I killed them. Okay. Go ahead. Can we talk about the trial at all? There's nothing to talk about. Let me tell you, I don't know if I can do this interview right now. <laughs> now he's on his own set and he's walking off the set. Talking to his own work. Do I get it? I don't think you should keep doing that. <laughs> what? <laughs> Whose voice they changed to protect the innocent. Dude, I murdered those children. Uh, I did. I killed them myself. Still not a funny thing to say. I get the point, but it's just like... All right, that's when the swearing started right there. That's where the F-bombs all came out. But uh, it, it's pretty interesting stuff. I it's really I really question if he knows that he was... I, I mean, you would have to assume he knows he's mic'd up. You'd have to assume He that. was doing an interview. How yeah. would you not know? Yeah, how would you not up? know? Exactly. So I don't, I don't know. It's his studio. Yeah. It's his plan. Yeah. He, it's his invitation. The interviewer came in and did the interview. Yeah, Andrew just, his, like, essentially travels to everyone, so. So tell us about this guy who got the interview. Yeah, his name is Andrew Callahan. He used to do this thing called All Gas, No Breaks, where he would just drive around in a van around the country, like, covering news. <laughs> and then, uh, apparently, the company that had media rights to him did something. I, I guess they were taking most of the revenue, and eventually he left, and now he has his new YouTube channel called uh, Channel 5 News. And he just goes around everything. Like, he went to the, uh, you know, bike rallies last year during COVID. He's gone to election events. I mean, he, he went to Ukraine. He does. He, he's essentially, like, the best, most known independent journalist. I mean, Did I guess. Did we have him on the air as a guest? No, I tried. I've, I've been trying to get him, but it's so hard so to get to him. So we played one of his posts. Yeah, yeah. But he, he's, uh, he's, he's, I would say, the most popular journalist on youtube and uh yeah he's finally locked down some alex jones stuff so that's awesome for him i really and this little clip this is just a clip for the rest is if you want to see the rest you can buy andrew's patreon and mm -hmm. honestly i think i'm going to buy the patreon to i want to see the rest of this really yeah. you find it that compelling i mean i know a lot of it's probably fake but I like well, I like Andrew and Alex Jones yeah. gives us content so good so you'll be able to clip some clips for us and we'll be able to play more if there's something worth playing let's uh, let's play a couple of rants get our own rants in here and see how they compete with the Alex Jones rant this is for all the Connecticut transit bus drivers out there with your cushy jobs and your empty buses in your pensions. You don't hesitate for a minute to pull out in the middle of traffic when you're at a bus stop. How's this compete with Alex Jones? What do you think? <laughs> Same league? On a busy road and cut everybody off. Take a right on red when you could take a right on red with your empty bus and put the phone down. Do you feel responsible for what happened to the Sandy Hook families? Yes, I killed the children. But beyond that... I no, mean, I mean, I went in that school, I pulled a gun out, and I shot every one of them myself. I mean... That's Alex Jones, and this is... Air party. No, that's not the one. Sorry. That was Ned. On a busy road and cut everybody off. Take a right on red when you could take a right on red with your empty bus 
and put the phone down. Listen, they're having trouble. They're having trouble getting people to drive the buses. Forget about whether they know the way to school. Hey, Todd, there's three things I need to pay for for my government that I would pay, gladly pay my taxes for. And one mm-hmm. is the police or an army to protect me. Two is the maintenance and the building of the roads. And three is the backing of a money system. That's all a private person needs to survive in the old U.S. of A. Goodbye. Yes, but that doesn't answer the question. The question was, listen again. Hey, Todd, there's three things I need to pay for well, so for the my first government one on this that list. I would pay, gladly pay my taxes for, and one is the police or an army to protect me. So the, the point was, on yesterday's rant, he was saying that police, he was saying that um, I think no other public employees should be paid through taxes. Was that it? Except for police. I believe that was the statement yesterday. So I challenged that. Why cops? I'm not saying cops are illegitimate. There are some state workers for whom employing them is, uh, you know, we get something in return for spending the money. And and the point isn't that we don't get some return on investment for some small percentage of the government that we get raped for. It's just that it's just that any one thing you if 200 years ago we had given the federal government the right to hire a policeman, we would be destroyed the way we are today by runaway government hey todd there's three things i need to pay for for my government that i would pay gladly pay my taxes for and one is the police or an army to protect me two is the maintenance and the building of the roads and three is the backing of a money system that's all a private person needs to survive in the old us of a goodbye so i i'm not saying police aren't worth paying for i'm just saying that uh, the way we go about doing government, and, and this all stemmed from a Leibowitz comment, I believe, yesterday, who, and he was saying, let's get rid of involuntary taxation. Any reaction to that, please? Do you want to get rid of... It's fund the police. Fund. Defund government. That's what I'm for. Defund government. Are you with me? Eight six zero five two two nine eight four two. Defund. Fund the police. Fund. He's Italian all of a sudden. More coming up on WTIC. something from the Todd Feinberg Show? Listen to the podcast on WTIC.com slash podcast. Yep, talking to Anthony is just like talking to the dentist. Says something to you you want to respond to, then he shoves the drill in. Did you want Novocaine? All right, listen to this. So the point is, government, I don't know, I had a revelation. This is not something I haven't been saying for years, but I had a revelation of just how true it is. There is no purpose for government except for doing the performance that makes it seem necessary so they can continue to grow it. That's the only reason it exists now. Listen to this. Listen to the the lying uh, Ned Lamont. Everything he says is a lie. 
and that doesn't mean a literal straight up the middle lie, but it could be a conniving around the corner lie, lie, a lie that goes through the side door, one that climbs down, you know, kind of shakes its body through the cellar window and then sneaks up the stairs. He's got all kinds of lies, but everything is is designed to cause you to misunderstand what the truth is. Uh, Your opponent this morning helped unveil some sort of parental bill of rights. Wonder if you might, if you're familiar with it, how you would react to uh, the outline. So yesterday, Bob Stefanowski said uh, proposed a parental bill of rights, and Ned is really good at manipulating the answer so that he doesn't answer, but he he projects all this virtue signaling. I think uh, you know. First of all, we got one of the greatest school systems in the country. Nonsense. There's nothing great about any public school system, but to say the state of Connecticut has one of the best is obviously a deception. There is no such thing as a state having one of the best school systems because, as Ned says later in the same press conference, uh, the schools are local. So there's no such thing as a single press conference, single single school system for the state that can be the best compared to other states. There's no such thing. But he gets to compliment the special interest group known as the education unions, and that he wants to do. Uh, Your opponent this morning unveiled some sort of parental bill of rights. Wonder if you might, if you're familiar with it, how you would react to uh, what you have on that. I think, you know, first of all, we got one of the greatest school systems in the country. Okay, so there is no school system for the state of Connecticut, as far as I understand. That's what Ned says later, too. If you know there to be a school system for the state of Connecticut, please tell us about it. But given that there isn't one, and even if there were one, this statistic, whatever it is, is is a lie, because a the only way he could be talking like that is to take the results of all of the school systems in the state and somehow aggregate their results to make a mean and to and to carry that mean out and compare it to one generated similarly around the country all right an average an average that means you take all the failed school systems all the high-performing school systems and all the middle ones and you merge them all together and divide by the number of students and that's your average right what does that tell you about how many utterly failed school systems there are particularly in the underserved communities that the Democrats serve so what exactly is he telling us when he says this what does he mean? I think, uh, you know, first of all, we got one of the greatest school systems in the country, and that's because we have uh, some amazing teachers. I'm sure there are some amazing teachers, and those poor people have to work in the miserable, decrepit, communist-styled system that serves the worst food known to mankind in the world. And teachers know that um, you're only effective if you're working alongside the parents and they work together a hand in glove. Oh, so there is no attempt to separate parents from curriculum making. All this hostility with people in the school systems saying, I don't want these parents around. 
and these school systems blocking parents from having input. Remember all the tension last year with critical race theory, the one of the anti-American theories being promoted by the horrible schools? Remember that? And, de- and Democrats pretending there was no such thing as critical race theory invading the schools. That was all just fake news, they said. And all those parents who were there protesting at, at their school board meetings in their communities, they were just off base, I guess. And uh, we try every day, and I know our uh, teachers do, and I know our parents do. They've got PTAs, they've got boards of education. Parents are actively involved. See, this is, what does the PTA do? They have uh, bake sales, don't they? To help fund something? Isn't that what the PTA does? And we are so much better off when they're singing in concert with each other. I don't need anybody. Oh, and here's the best part. What Ned needs. This is the cleverest line of all. Listen to Ned. This is what, what policy is about in the state of Connecticut. It's what Ned needs. Listen. Each other. I don't need anybody pitting parents against teachers. That's bad for the kids and bad for our students and bad for our schools. What about that, I think that's a really brilliant line. Whoever the consultant is who taught Ned how to say that, listen to it once more. Each other. I don't need anybody pitting parents against teachers. That's bad for the kids and bad for our students and bad for our schools. He's posing as you. He's posing as a parent. He's posing as somebody who cares about people, who cares about kids, who cares about the schools. It's such a wonderful pose. He is such a devious, manipulative person who lies with every word he speaks. Each other. I don't need anybody pitting parents against teachers. That's bad for the kids and bad for our students and bad for our schools. There is nothing like tape of Jolly Ned to show how ridiculous and hateful Jolly Ned is. What about um, Mr. Stepanowski outlined several proposals? Perhaps one of the more provocative might be... Uh, some sort of prohibition or limitation on the participation of uh, transgender female athletes in high school sports competitions uh, seems to be either an out. You know, uh, uh, this is good stuff too. We'll have to. Uh, we're getting close to the the break, so we'll have to discuss this after we get a news update. But I, you know, the place I'm at now is forget about anything government is doing. Their only real interface with you is the con. They are the hucksters out on the street corner sitting at a table with the, with the shells, and they're just trying to suck you into the game where they take your money. We'll get a news update and talk more on WTIC. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got 
you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. WTIC 1080. All right, Juan. So you heard something about uh, you were at a school board meeting and this got brought up? Uh, yes. I was at the school meeting last night, and, uh, you know, there were three speakers that came up. We spoke about two of them spoke, the first two spoke about the subject of man on the agenda. I happened to talk about something that was dear to me about uh, a friend's whose daughter passed away at a school and actually she didn't pass away at the school. She had an accident at the school and passed away 10 days later. And, you know, Mark Walsh and I, we've been trying to find out what happened, what sort of actions the town has taken. And we, we've seen a lot of pushback and I can understand why I've seen a lot of pushback because they want to bury the subject matter under the rug. But most importantly, right after I spoke about, they went on to speak about on their agenda, how to curb, parent participation at the meetings. Mm-hmm. They talked about that they didn't want parents to be coming in and talking about things that were not on the agenda or the subject. Now, in my case, okay, the, the death of this student at their school was not part of the agenda, nor the solution, nor the ideas that they come up with how to help parents and the pain and then such and forth, so forth. And they, they don't they don't have one a uh, a portion a few minutes at the end or whatever for people to just no, speak. They want they they want they have two they have two public periods three minutes a person could speak up to six minutes they've got three minutes at the beginning of the meeting or three more minutes at the end of the meeting. Now what they want to do is they want to limit the, the amount of time that people speak on this, on on the meetings and it has to be about the subject. And they only want to hear, I had a member last night, if you go to the videotape, if they're all videotaped, she said that she wanted to limit it to 10 people. So in a town of over, over 30,000, 40,000 people, they want to limit people, uh, residents' input by, by 10 people. 
So they're, they're working themselves into getting rid of the ability for people to come up and ask them questions about subjects that may not be on the agenda or mm-hmm. things that they don't know about or things that they want to bury or ignore. So... All right, so the cover-up is in full swing in in uh, in your community. It is in full swing in West Hartford. They want to shut out parental input. They want to limit the amount of people speak. And when there are problems, we still haven't heard about any on the bullying of that of, of that black student at Hall High School that the kid and the mother came in and spoke about about four or five months ago. There was no follow-up on that. Uh, there has not been follow-up on having parental input into the curriculum. There has not been an announcement okay. of that. So what what Jolly Ned was talking about is bogus. Uh, Juan, I'm sorry, I've got a guest I have to get to, and, th- and then we'll talk more about this subject coming up because it is uh, powerful stuff, and, and Ned's lies are ones that need to be focused on and and contrasted to this reality that that Juan is talking about. 860-522-9842. Joining us right now though is Kathy Flaherty. She is uh, coming on because there is this rich area that we haven't talked hardly at all about but I think uh, contributes to our studies in political science. Kathy is an advocate for well, she's the executive director of Connecticut Legal Rights Project, which is a, a nonprofit that provides legal services to people with mental health conditions who can't afford it for themselves. She's an attorney as well. And it's just a whole other segment of state law where state has cre- uh, created a disaster, it seems. And I thought it'd be fun for us to look into and good for everybody to learn more about uh, this area of government uh, bad results. Kathy, welcome to WTIC. Thank you, Todd, for the invitation. I appreciate it. So, tell us what is the state of mental health services for the state of Connecticut? Well, I think that really is a question that gets answered on a couple of different levels, um, because there is one system for people who have commercial private insurance, you know, those of us who may have employer-sponsored health insurance and kids up to 26 who were covered on their parents' insurance, that's one system. And then there's another system, uh, which is the system that the clients of Connecticut Legal Rights Project are in, um, which is paid for by Medicaid for people who are getting services in the community or um, in our state-operated inpatient psychiatric facilities for people who are um, in our state hospitals. So which one of those two, which one of those two is doing better? I think it depends on who you talk to, and I think both people or people in either system are going to say that they feel that they are being underserved because... Overall, I think the challenge within mental health services writ large is a huge workforce issue. I think when you don't have a sufficient number of providers, period, whether they're in the state-operated system, um, partially as a result of retirements, partially as a result of vacancies not being filled, 
um, or within the private system where people may have very long waits to get connected to a provider or there are providers out there, but they only take private pay and they don't accept insurance or they accept insurance, but they're not on your plan. But in general, Kathy, are, are you talking about are you talking about the last couple of years because of all the people who maybe aren't aren't available to work anymore because of COVID? Or are you talking about a longer no, arc of these are actually problems that have been going on for a very long time? I think. Why would there be though? If you have this, defies the norms of of what you would assume in terms of how economics works. That if you have government pumping money into a national program to provide mental health services. And if you have a private insurance uh, side of, of the services, then you would expect between those two funding mechanisms that you would have tons of people wanting to get that easy money. What's the problem? Um, one, I'm not sure it's easy money. I, I don't work in a, in a doctor's office and nev- have never had to do medical billing. But I think that is a huge challenge. I think, you know, the, the dollars are out there, but the administrative steps that they maybe have to go through to get that um, and have staff who, who do that may, may contribute to part of the problem. I think in terms of mental health generally, though, we have been having conversations literally for decades about what we think the system needs to uh, really have the fundamental changes in it uh, to help people better and more. And I can think you highlight quickly before we go deeper into that. What are the what are the most tragic problems that mental health services in the state of Connecticut come with? I think that the problems are really twofold. One, and I'll try to be as quick as I can. Is I think one on the front end is that when people are voluntarily seeking services and supports, can they get connected to somebody in a timely fashion? Or when that moment is there, when somebody's willing to reach out for help, are they told, oh, come, you know, call us back for an intake in five weeks or six weeks or three months, um, you know, or there's a waiting list. And that person would get lost. That opportunity would be lost. And and I think on the other end, for people in our state-operated system, they get into the hospital and then they get trapped there. And our average length of stay in our state-operated facilities is over three years, and even on the young adult inpatient unit um, at Connecticut Valley Hospital, the average length of stay is almost a year. And for somebody who's between the ages of 18 and 25, why are we separating them from their life in the community for that long? From their families, from their support and from systems. Their yes. But you must be talking about people who are in acute mental crisis. Yes and no, because I think maybe at the moment that they enter the hospital, um, especially if you enter a hospital against your will um, and have been placed in the hospital pursuant to an order from the probate court. Mm-hmm. The facility has had to prove that you're either a danger to yourself, a danger to others, or greatly disabled, and that you have that mental health condition. Um, but the problem is, is people start to get better, but then at least from the state hospital perspective, when they're trying to leave, um, if there aren't places where people can live affordably in the community, plus get access to the voluntary services and supports, they end up 
basically being warehoused and institutionalized. And so there aren't halfway services? No, there just aren't the housing combined with those voluntary services and supports at an adequate level. Um, you know, I think, I don't know how much time we have before the break, but if you remember, we used to have two more large state hospitals in Connecticut, and actually technically three, but Fairfield Hills and Norwich State closed. The state made a promise that they were going to invest the savings from closing those facilities into the community-based system of care, and they never kept that promise. The money went into the general fund Mm -hmm. and then got spent on other things uh, rather than being reinvested in the community-based system of care. Wow, we're talking with Kathy Flaherty, and she provides services to people who are low-income to help them navigate the the mental health system in the state of Connecticut. She's executive director of Connecticut Legal Rights Project. So this sounds like, um, well, how long ago was the was the closing of the hospitals where that money was supposed to be transferred over to other services? That was in the mid-1990s. Okay, so 30 years. We, we can assume Correct. at this point they're not yeah. going to do it. Oh, right. And I think the frustration that a lot of us have, you know, uh, including many of us who are members of the Keep the Promise Coalition, is wanting to hold government to account. You know, there, when we talk about promises that are made, um, especially when we're dealing with things that are, are fundamental issues, Um, And that we have the state depriving people of their liberty, because that's what happens. You know, I don't know that all your listeners necessarily know being in a psychiatric hospital is not the same as being in a general hospital. You don't get to leave against medical advice. Um, All you can do is give notice that you want to leave, and they can decide whether they're going to open up the door or they can petition a court to continue to hold you longer. Kathy, we are going to take that break. We will continue the conversation with Kathy Flaherty, coming up on WTIC. Now, back to the Todd Feinberg Show, live from the NJ Diet Studios on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're talking to Kathy Flaherty about mental health services in the state of Connecticut. She's executive director of Connecticut Legal Rights Project. And mental health has gone through a topsy-turvy kind of uh, world over the past generation or two. And the idea was to make everything better, but Kathy makes it sound like things aren't going so great Uh, continue the story of where we're at and maybe paint the most vivid picture you can of dysfunction with a particular aspect of what you deal with, Kathy? Sure, and thanks again for the opportunity to do this. I think, especially as you talk about how things have evolved over time, you know, I am someone who has um, experienced the mental health system as a patient. Um, You know, The age that I am, you know, I grew up in the 70s, and as long as you were doing well in school, nobody actually cared about the state of your mental health, frankly. Um, And so even though I was struggling with things that certainly would be labeled depression and anxiety now, 
um, nobody cared because I did well in school and went to college, went to law school, uh, did experience civil commitment myself as a first year at law school. And that was a time where I didn't know that a psychiatrist could write an order that puts you in the hospital when you don't want to go. So and, were you in there first voluntarily, or did you uh, go in no, by being committed? No, I was committed? not there. <laughs> okay. That first hospitalization was in no way voluntary, um, although technically I signed myself in, mm-hmm. but that's because I went to an appointment with my psychiatrist. She said, I'm putting you in the hospital. I swore at her, walked out of her arms, walked out of her office into the waiting arms of the Harvard University Police Department, mm-hmm. um, who proceeded to put me in an ambulance. Uh, they did give me a, a pamphlet to read on my ride uh, to McLean that talked about signing yourself into the hospital voluntarily so that you could sign yourself out. So, of course, that's what I did. And the hospital petitioned to commit me. I had a court-appointed lawyer. I had a hearing. Um, and the judge committed me for up to six months. Um, and this was, you know, six weeks into my first year of law school. Um, I went into the hospital on October 11th of 1990. Um, and I was discharged 60 days later. Uh, which happened to be the amount of coverage I had um, on the student health plan. So they'll lock you up indefinitely as long as you have coverage? It seems that way, and I don't know how much of it has changed. I think what has changed over the years is that insurance companies don't pay or don't want to pay the cost of inpatient psychiatric hospitalization, so I believe a lot of the time the inpatient uh, private we operated inpatient hospitals spend a lot of time on the phone with insurance cover companies trying to get coverage for people to have longer stays. And that's why most people think of psychiatric hospital stays as five, maybe 10 days, because in the private system, that's what you're going to get. But we don't measure hospitalizations in the state system in days. Uh, we measure it in months, if not years. So there have been recent attempts to modify the laws in the state of Connecticut. We're out of time for today, but I'd love to have you back, and maybe we can dive into uh, things that make you optimistic, because this has been, my approach has been from the negative point of view, but you might have things you're excited about that you want to cover with us, and we can do that in another interview if you're willing. I would be willing to continue the conversation, because there are elements, um, I'm not always all doom and gloom. Um, I think there are signs of hope, um, and I would love to have the chance to talk to you more about that. Well, that would be great. Kathy Flaherty, Executive Director of Connecticut Legal Rights Project. How do people reach out if they want to have a discussion, say? Well, our website for Connecticut Legal Rights Project is www.clrp.org. But I'm on Twitter. Um, My handle is at ConConnection. Um, and I am usually willing to engage in good faith discussions uh, there uh, at any time. And do you have experience with families trying to get uh, services for kids who are addicted to drugs? Well, CLRP represents uh, adults who are eligible for mental health services from the Mm -hmm. Department of Mental Health and Addiction Services. 
um, certainly based on personal experience more than professional, have often talked with families who are who who want to get help for their family member who's struggling. But we at CLRP as a law firm represent the person who's struggling mm-hmm. and advocate for their choices, which may or may not align 100% with what their family wants. Uh, but I am always happy to point people to information about things uh, that should be available to them. Kathy Flaherty, thanks so much for your time. Executive Director of Connecticut Legal Rights Project. Do a little Googling if you want to learn more, and we will have Kathy back, and I'll, I'll let you know when that's going to happen. 860-522-9842. All-Star Closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.